I'm Dr. Sterling. I'm a board-certified OBGYN and mom. Welcome to the Becoming Moms podcast, where I give you the step-by-step to optimizing your physical and emotional wellness in pregnancy so you can create a nourishing environment for your baby, your family, and yourself. The information shared in this podcast is intended for general education purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or another qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you heard in this podcast. All right, lovelies, let's dive in to this week's episode. Welcome to episode four. In this episode, we are going to talk all about choosing the right OB provider. Now, if you are a member of Sterling Parents, that's my membership that provides trusted answers, expert advice, and heartfelt support for pregnancy beyond. And you are listening to this episode on the Sterling Parents private podcast. Stick around for the bonus segment at the end because I'm going to share the three steps you need to take when you aren't getting what you need from your OB provider. If you are not yet a member of Sterling Parents, no worries. You can always check us out at sterlingparents.com. And this episode is going to help you find the right provider for your pregnancy. So let's start off this discussion by talking about why it matters, why finding the right OB provider is so important. And really what it comes down to is, you know, for one, your experience in pregnancy, this is, you know, nine, 10 months of your life um, during pregnancy and then months afterward where you are spending a lot of time in this office and with this individual. So it's not just about the OB provider or providers themselves, but it's also about the office atmosphere, the culture of the office. These are also important things. And so for one, it's it matters because your experience through your reproductive journey matters. It also matters because, as we've talked about in the previous episodes, your emotional wellness really uh, is really important for your, you know, your experience and your happiness, but also for the outcomes of your pregnancy and for the long-term health of your baby. So it's much easier to create that nourishing environment inside yourself for yourself and for your baby when you have an OB provider who's holding your hand and supporting you along the way, who takes your symptoms seriously, who is willing to sit down and explain things to you and hold space for the you know the emotional impact of what you're going through um, as you try to conceive as you're pregnant postpartum and beyond so I am a huge proponent of finding a provider who really aligns with your values and really makes you feel seen and heard and supported now, um, there are many people who are locked in to a certain provider because of where they want to deliver or because of insurance. You know, it depends on where you're listening to this from. You know, there are some parts um, of our world in which 
you don't have as much choice about the provider um, you're going to. You may live in a rural area and there's one OB provider and that's it. And so um, I understand that choice is a privilege for sure. And there are there are certainly things that you can do to support your emotional and physical wellness in pregnancy um, outside of choosing the perfect provider. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about that in many <laughs> throughout this podcast, throughout the Becoming Moms podcast. So um, it matters for your emotional wellness. It matters for your experience. Um, you deserve to have a provider who is holding your hand along the way. So let's talk about some factors that some kind of logistical factors that we have to consider when we're choosing a provider. Now, of course, there's in your insurance. This is not the same um, in the United States as it is in, in other countries where there is, you know, universal health care coverage. But in the United States, we have to take our insurance into consideration. We need to find a hospital that is in network and we need to find a provider that is in network. And so, um, for if you are live in a country with private insurance or you have private insurance and you want to utilize it in whatever country you live in, um, certainly that is a really great place to start because going down the road of doing all of the research and finding the right person only to find out that they are out of network for you um, is incredibly frustrating. So um, starting off with your insurance is a good place if that is a, a limiting factor for you in your decision. Now, next, and this, this is the case for, um, you know, if you live somewhere where you have multiple options of where you could potentially deliver, that is the next thing you may want to consider. Um, there are a variety of different, uh, types of hospitals or levels of hospital that you can um, give birth at. And there's, of course, birth centers. There is, um, of course, there's home birth. We're not really going to touch on uh, home birth and and home birth providers in this episode, um, but um, that is also uh, another um, factor to consider, okay, where you want to deliver. So in terms of hospitals, and, and this is, this is, usually true. This is tr definitely true in the United States. It's, tr it's true in much of Canada. It's true in, in much of Europe. There are different NICUs, different levels of neonatal intensive care units um, in different hospitals. So this is something that many people don't know. Some hospitals just have what's considered a, a, a newborn nursery. Okay. And they can really only take care of healthy term babies. And they do not have the equipment or the physicians to support um, premature or um, medically complicated babies. Okay. So um, knowing what you, the hospital, you know, what the hospital that you are delivering at, what they are able to offer in terms of services for baby can be really helpful. Okay. Um, and that may impact your decision of where to deliver. So looking at the, the services that are available for baby is, is a factor. And also just knowing, um, what you are looking for in a place to give birth. Okay. Um, the, 
I gave birth to Celeste in a lovely facility that um, had a birth center within a hospital. So it had a lot of the benefits of a birth center, um, larger beds, um, tubs to labor in. Um, it was staffed by midwives, uh, really um, had a had a really nice vibe to it. And that was a birth center inside of a hospital. And then if you needed interventions and epidural, et cetera, they transferred you, um, you know, just, just to a room next door um, to the, the hospital, the labor and delivery ward. So there are options like that. I delivered at UCSD my first time. And then after that, I've delivered at Kaiser in San Diego. Um, so picking your, your hospital is, a, is another great place to start because Typically, most OB providers will deliver at one, maybe two hospitals. Um, some providers deliver at more, but that you can imagine having patients at more than more than one hospital is complicated and, and more than two is certainly complicated. So if you say, okay, I really want to deliver at this place, you then need to look at, okay, what OB providers provide services there. Um, and that can help you narrow it down. Now, the other thing to take into consideration is, is the style of practice. There are many, many styles of practice. There are solo practitioners. So that's where there's one OB provider in the office and they handle all of their patients. And um, that is more rare these days because that person obviously has you know, a lot of responsibility. They're basically on call all of the time unless they arrange for other coverage. So the benefit of a solo practitioner is you know who your doctor is and you have a pretty good guess at who's going to show up to help you give, you know, help you birth your baby. Even with solo um, practices, there is the potential that somebody you don't know could deliver your baby because um, providers take vacations, they get sick, things happen. So it's not a guarantee of knowing who's going to help you give birth, but um, it's it, it's a good chance, right? So there's solo practitioners. There are small group practices where there's just, you know, a few, one, two, I'm sorry, two, three, four providers. Um, sometimes they also have midwives in the mix. We'll talk about midwives um, in, a, in a moment. Um, so smaller group practices where Sometimes you'll see one provider primarily through your pregnancy, but then know, okay, there's three providers in the group, there's four providers in the group, and one of them is going to deliver me. So they typically rotate call, and if they happen to be on when you deliver, then they'll deliver you. And that's usually how they arrange their practices. So it's, it's you know, that's the, the benefit to them. Um, to the provider is that they know when they're on call and they're not on call 24 hours a day and uh, seven days a week, right? And as a provider, um, you can imagine that is, you know, especially if you've got you've got kids and you've got a family or you know just life stuff. That's that can be really nice. And so when you're going to those smaller group practices, um, it's it's typically a situation where they have got they've created that small group practice so that they can share call. And so there is, you know, depending on how many providers there are, if they share call equally, you know, if it's, if you're have a four person provider and they share it evenly, okay, you've got a 25% chance 
on any given day that your provider is going to be there. Um, other small practices operate a little bit differently. They they really share the patients. And so you see all providers throughout your pregnancy multiple times. Um, and so there's also good chance you're going to know your provider um, when you show up in labor or you show up for your C-section or what you will. Uh, yeah. And then there's bigger group practices, okay? Um, sometimes, you know, up to 10, 15 doctors or, you know, 10, 15 midwives. Uh, I have always gone in my pregnancies to big group practices with multiple midwives and physicians, though I haven't actually ever gone to a prenatal appointment with a physician. Um, I've only seen midwives for my prenatal care. The only time I've interacted with another physician in pregnancy has been um, when I had an ultrasound with Celeste and they saw something that they thought might be weird and they brought the, the maternal fetal medicine specialist in to take a look at the ultrasound. But other than that, that's literally the only uh, physician that I've interacted with in, in my pregnancies, which, you know, there you go. And we'll talk more about midwives and the difference in a moment. So deciding on what style of practice you're most comfortable with, one of the benefits of the bigger group practices um, is that typically, if you have a bigger group practice, so, you know, six docs and midwives, 10 docs and midwives, usually what their arrangement is, is that there's a, a person who is on call at the hospital that is not going back between the office and the hospital. What's nice about that is that um, when you have smaller practices, either solo practices or small group practices, it often means that a provider is bouncing back between the hospital um, and seeing patients in the hospital and helping people give birth and the office. And so sometimes scheduling can be kind of rough because you show up for your appointment and your, your, your doc's off helping someone, you know, um, uh, give birth. So, um, you know, there are, there are a, a myriad of um, benefits and, um, you know, downsides to all of the different practices. But um, I personally... To me, it's it's not it's not as important for me to know the person who helps me give birth. Um, I wouldn't necessarily have said that before I gave birth to Celeste. Um, it wasn't. I really wanted to be seen by midwives, and I'll get into that. So I was willing to accept a larger group practice where I probably wouldn't know the provider who helped me. But after my birth experience with Celeste, there was a midwife I hadn't met. She was so, so lovely. And, you know, after that, I was like, you know what? I, it doesn't. It just doesn't matter to me that I recognize the face. That's not to say that it shouldn't matter to you. Just for me, I know as both a provider and as a patient that good OB providers, whether they are midwives or doctors, um, we are pretty used to establishing trust and, and, and intimacy and a connection with our patients quickly because we have to do it all the time. Um, people come in and labor that we haven't met and, and they are putting their lives and their children's lives in our hands. And it's a responsibility that that many of us take very seriously. So, you know, you just deciding what is important, really important to you can help you 
um, find the, you know, the right style of practice. The other thing that was really important to me, especially my first pregnancy, is I was working. I was working late hours. I needed an office that had um, after hours appointments. And some offices have weekend appointments and stuff like that. So those are the different factors to consider when you're thinking about kind of logistical reasons and uh, things that might help you choose the right provider. Okay, let's pause here because I want to share a free resource with you. If you are pregnant or trying to conceive, you may be feeling a little stressed, trying to make sure you're doing all the right things. And of course you are. This is your baby, right? It's your family and you care a lot. And there's a lot of information and opinion out there. Much of it is conflicting about what you should and shouldn't do. And it can be really overwhelming when you're figuring it out all on your own. So I created a free class to help you reduce stress and optimize your wellness in pregnancy. In this class, I'm going to review four simple ways you can make your pregnancy easier and healthier so that you can spend your time and energy nourishing yourself and your baby in pregnancy. So head over to thebestpregnancyclass.com to grab your free spot in this incredible free class. Now I want to talk a little bit about the different types of providers that take care of pregnant people. Now, of course, the number one that, you know, the most common type of provider to um, take care of pregnant people is going to be OBGYNs. So OBGYNs are physicians who have um, graduated from medical school and then done an additional four years of training after medical school to become OBGYNs. Um, most of us decide to be board certified, which means we voluntarily opt in to taking two different tests. We take a, a written test around the time we graduate from residency. And then a year or two later, um, after, uh, after residency, we all travel to uh, the state of Texas to be grilled by a number of uh, different board certified OBGYNs about what we would do in different scenarios, very high pressure <laughs> situation in which we are, um, yeah, it's a, it's a standardized test where actual physicians sit across from us and just give us patient scenarios and say, what would you do? Oh my goodness. It's, it's challenging. And then we have to maintain our certification. So there's a lot of reading and tests that we have to take every single year to maintain our board certification. And you can always check if your provider is board certified by going to abog, A-B-O-G dot org. There's a little button usually there that says check your provider status. I think that's what it says, but that's American Board of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. If you happen to be in the United States, um, most other countries also have their version of board certification. So um, yeah, OBGYNs, board certified OBGYNs, the, the most common people who are going to be taking care of your pregnancy and your postpartum, um, they are also surgeons. So most um, 
uh, OBGYN's practice obstetrics, so take care of pregnant people, and also practice gynecology, which is, you know, taking care of, you know, regular uh, well woman, well people visits, um, doing breast cancer screening, pap smears, all of that. And then um, many also do gynecologic surgeries. So do surgeries for ovarian cysts, blah, blah, blah. So surgeons and physicians, OBGYNs, these are the people who take care of um, who you, you know, if you have a, a pregnancy that's quote unquote high risk, um, I'm not a huge fan of the high risk term, but that's <laughs> that's a topic for another conversation. An OBGYN is who you're, who you're going to be seeing unless you're so high risk that you need to be seen um, exclusively by a maternal fetal medicine specialist. And we'll talk about them in a moment. So then there's midwives. And um, listen, I, I'm a big fan and proponent of midwives. I did um, I trained with midwives. So at the residency program I went to, we worked with midwives and I just, I just loved them. There's a certain midwife vibe that I really got along with the midwives. Uh, They oftentimes had very similar um, beliefs about wellness and pregnancy and, and seeing a pregnant person as, as a whole person and valuing the emotional support for the pregnancy journey. So when I decided who I was going to go to, because I was quote unquote low risk, um, I chose midwives. And, you know, there is, there is data to show that um, uh, midwife patients, their births have fewer medical uh, interventions and a lower rate of cesarean birth. So if midwives are available to you, that might be something to consider. Um, I just personally felt the reason I made the decision to see midwives was not just that I I liked their vibe and their whole thing. It's that I knew as an OBGYN that, and this is true, seeing all an all assortment of doctors, when you are a physician and you you are seen by another physician, oftentimes they kind of assume that you know a lot. For example, I've had a number of surgeries. I don't think that anybody's ever actually given like done true informed consent where they walk through the risk benefits alternatives and indications for the surgery with me because they're just like, you're a doctor, you get it. And I don't know, I just felt like, especially with my first pregnancy, I wanted somebody to treat me like a patient and not a doctor. And I just was like, all right, I think the midwives will like, you know, care about me and not just see me as a physician, they'll also see me as a person. So that's part of the reason why I chose I chose midwives. Um, yeah. So um, there are different types of midwives. Now, um, in the United States, there is the midwives that you're going to find in the hospital um, are typically certified nurse midwives. So um, there is pretty rigorous training um, they, that they go through in order to be certified nurse midwives. Most hospitals, um, only use certified nurse midwives. Um, that's just, they are the ones that have, um, the, their training requires the most number of hours of experience, the most, um, uh, time in education and learning. So they certified nurse midwives are held to a higher standard for their credentialing in terms of the number of hours they have to spend in patient care and number of hours they have to spend in the classroom than what we call direct entry midwives. So direct um, 
uh, entry midwives, they don't have to, unlike certified nurse midwives, which have to have prior nursing or medical experience before they go into a, a certified nurse midwife program, direct and entry midwives um, don't have to have any prior nursing or medical experience. They go through a specific program to become um, a certified midwife or certified professional midwife. Um, most of the direct entry midwives only attend out-of-hospital births, so either birth centers or home births. Now, around um, in Canada and most of Europe, midwives, the midwives that you'll find in those countries, the only midwives you'll find in those countries are regulated and hold similar uh, credentials um, as certified nurse midwives in the United States. So in Canada, and again, most of Europe, they don't actually even allow for direct entry midwives. And the what direct entry midwives are allowed to do in the United States depends on the state. So different states have different rules about what they can and cannot do. Okay. Um, and then of course, in other parts of the world, you'll find traditional midwives. So, you know, the midwives have been around since pretty much the beginning of the human race. And it wasn't until, you know, more recent and modern times where there have been specific credentials and training protocols. Traditional midwives don't ha don't necessarily have credentials, um, you know, specific credentials or schooling, but they learn the practice like an apprentice. So they, you know, it's, it's a, uh, a, a, an art that is uh, passed on through, uh, through experience. And that's what, you know, much of the world, um, gives birth with traditional midwives that, that don't go through a specific schooling. Okay. So we talked about midwives. Now the other providers, um, other physicians that provide, uh, obstetric care are family practice doctors. Um, they, you'll find a lot of family practice doctors, especially um, in more rural parts, um, especially of the United States. Um, there's a lot of family practice doctors that are still practicing obstetrics. Back in the day, it was you saw more family practitioners taking care of pregnant people, um, and it's it's still done, but it's not as common as it used to be. Um, you know, one of the things that's really lovely about family practice providers is that you are seen together with your baby, right? So family practice providers also, they, they practice pediatrics, they, um, they see adults, they see kids, they see pregnant people. And so when you go to your postpartum appointments, you and your, your baby or your babies have the same doctor. So that's really lovely. Family practice doctors, unlike OBGYNs, are not surgeons. So I have worked in a hospital where we worked with family practice doctors. What typically happened is if, if one of their patients needed to have a cesarean, um, the OBGYN who's on call would have to go in and do the cesarean. And oftentimes the family practice doctor would assist in that C-section, but they, they're not actually surgeons, so they, they can't do that. Um, I do think that there is, you know, I think that there's a lot of benefits to family practice. I do think that, you know, OBGYNs and midwives, we spend so much time in the vagina and repairing the vagina that, um, you know, we've got that especially OBGYNs, we have uh, that those surgical skills can come like in handy 
when we have a more complicated vaginal tear. And oftentimes midwives, especially those who are practicing in a hospital setting, when there is a complicated vaginal tear um, after somebody gives birth vaginally, oftentimes they'll call in an OBGYN to say, hey, this is, you know, we've disrupted the external anal sphincter here. Like, let's let's get the surgeon in here to, to really repair this in, in a surgical fashion. Um, yeah. So, and then the final pr- types of providers that provide um, care for pregnant people are maternal fetal medicine specialists. Now, maternal fetal medicine specialists are OBGYNs. So again, four years of medical school, four years of residency training, then an additional three-year fellowship training in maternal fetal medicine. Maternal fetal medicine specialists are the specialists in higher risk pregnancies, okay? There's both conditions of the pregnant person that make them that that maternal fetal medicine specialists deal with. So if you have, you know, a complicated autoimmune disease, if you have, you know, type 1 diabetes and you're a, a, a brittle diabetic, um, if you have a, had had a heart transplant, a liver transplant, you know, there's all of these medically complicated individuals um, that, that get pregnant and want healthy pregnancies. And maternal fetal medicine specialists are the experts in navigating these complicated medical situations together with pregnancy. In addition, um, there are fetal conditions that make a pregnancy higher risk. For example, triplets, conjoined twins, um, um, twins with, uh, you know, complex congenital um, abnormalities, uh, you know, oh my goodness, <laughs> the, 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 Babies with, you know, rare diseases like osteogenesis imperfecta, which is, you know, the brittle bone disease. Um, they So maternal fetal medicine specialists are the experts in complicated um, conditions for the pregnant person and for babies. Now, many of us will see a maternal fetal medicine specialist at some point in our pregnancy, perhaps if you are what's called advanced maternal age, so you are 35 and up, you may have an, your your anatomy ultrasound, which is standard which is standard um, between 18 and 20 weeks, you may actually go into a maternal fetal medicine office and have an ultrasound either with, and maternal fetal medicine doctor themselves or with their technician. And then they just look at the images and sign off on the ultrasound. Okay. As opposed to um, some people get that anatomy ultrasound done with um, just in a radiology department and there's no maternal fetal medicine um, doctor who's overlooking those ultrasound. It's just a a radiologist who reads them. Um, Or you may have a, you know, a a pregnancy condition that places you at slightly higher risk. And so you may be seen by an OBGYN, so just a general OBGYN, as well as a maternal fetal medicine specialist. So you may have two doctors. And what typically happens in that situation is a maternal fetal medicine specialist will make recommendations to your OB provider. And then your OB provider, almost 99.9% of the time, says yes you know, MFM doctor, you are the specialist. I'm going to follow out your recommendations. Um, and then there are some situations in which a pregnancy is high enough risk um, and or is complicated enough where the general OBGYNs are like, you know what? Um, too many cooks in the kitchen. This is all you. You just, you take care of this pregnancy um, and we, we pass the patient off to maternal fetal medicine. Okay. 
All right, we've gone gone through a lot of content, so I'm going to give you a little pat on the back there. A lot of information on this subject. Let's talk about the kind of final element, the cherry on top, the thing that I think is both the most elusive thing about choosing the right OPR provider, but oftentimes the most important, and that's just the vibe check, okay? Here's the deal. There is no way as an OB provider that every single patient is going to love you, okay? Um, I, my patients, like most of them, I don't want to toot my own horn, but most of my patients loved me (laughs) and I loved them. And there were some patients who like, I, I, they did not like me. They did not like my vibe. And you know what? That's just the reality of human beings. We are not always going to fit together. And uh, that matters. You know, this is a relationship. And for um, your pregnancy to feel supported, it's really that trust, that relationship is so important because it, you know, I certainly have a number of members of my Sterling Parents community where for whatever reason, they don't have that relationship with their OB provider. And so we'll chat, you know, we'll chat over Instagram or we'll chat over Zoom in my office hours. And, you know, they, they're, they, they come to me for that, um, you know, to just, actually sit down with them and educate them about a topic that their provider didn't have time for. And I will tell you, even the best of providers don't have nearly the amount of time that I have to sit and talk about one subject. You know, like they just, I'm I'm lucky in a way because I work online. I don't have the restrictions. I don't have to deal with insurance companies. I can sit down and talk to somebody about gestational diabetes for far longer than they, they can necessarily talk to their doctor. But even if you're a member of Sterling Parents and you you do have the backup of, of having me at your side to help support you, I still want you to have an OB provider that you vibe with and that, um, you know, shares some of your values and, and makes you feel seen and heard. And so the, the way to figure out if you have that provider is just to, to ask yourself how you feel when you're in the appointment with that person. And when you walk out of the office, are they making eye contact with you? Are they, do you feel cared for? Um, do you feel like you are being, you, your concerns are being taken seriously and you're getting the support that you need? Um, it's, it's pretty simple, really, at the end of the day to figure out if you're vibing with your provider. Um, and the other thing that that's important is when you ask a question, um, you know, you have, you want clarification on, you know, a recommendation they made. Are they, you know, taking the time to uh, explain themselves to you and to really earn your trust because sometimes as providers, um, we can't just expect that our patient is just going to automatically do what we say. Sometimes we have to explain the why behind it. And when your provider is consistently, you know, too busy, um, you know, not present with you enough to explain their why and to make you feel confident and comfortable with their recommendations, then that might not be a good fit for you, right? All right. This has been a long episode. 
<laughs> we've covered a lot of uh, ground. If you are a Sterling parent and you're listening to this on the private podcast, hang around because I'm going to talk about, walk you through the three, three steps you need to take when you're not getting what you need out of your OB provider. Um, and if you are listening to this on the Becoming Moms, the public podcast, I want to thank you for tuning in to this episode. I hope you have a beautiful day. Until next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Becoming Moms. If you are serious about optimizing the wellness of your pregnancy, then you definitely need to get your hands on my free guide, Self-Care Rituals for Pregnancy. This guide is filled with my favorite stress busters and wellness boosters for pregnancy. And along with the guide, I'm going to send you a short email series with my favorite tips for optimizing your pregnancy wellness. To get your hands on this free guide, head over to the Sterling Life com slash pregnancy self-care. All right, lovelies, until next time.